but we run hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of simulations per per evening exactly okay all right and so uh and we don't advance something to on-road testing until it's cleared a lot of cases right uh till, till we're very happy with uh our, our regeneration case, cases mm-hmm. that that uh apply to the feature being tested right so that, the, it, you know, you have that aspect of being able to just run the simulation at much, much higher rate, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You also have, uh, when it comes to long tail events, the ability to alter the frequency of long tail events, mm-hmm. okay? Events that will rarely occur in the recorded data, right? You can alter the frequency at which those happen to provide more training and testing samples. Right. We're going through something absolutely historic. Technologies across the board are growing exponentially. It's a disruption that's going to completely redefine the way businesses compete. In the next decade, we're going to lose 40% of today's Fortune 500 companies. The exponential growth of computing is continuing. AI is nowhere near its full potential. Whether you like it or not, that the future cannot be stopped by anyone. Hi there, everybody. This is Mark Verbenkov, and welcome back to the Future Tech and Foresight podcast. This is episode number 125. So as many of you listening are probably already aware, the first 100 episodes of this podcast really focused on automation and specifically how it was impacting jobs. I have talked about autonomous vehicles a number of times. I think I've only mentioned autonomous trucking here and there or in passing uh, on the podcast. So I'm really excited to look at autonomous trucking on today's episode, as I think it's quite an important subject that we all should be a little bit more aware of. And here are a couple ideas as to why we should be more aware of it. So really everywhere that you go, whether it's a local grocery store or a large shopping mall, there's one thing that kind of stands true between all these things, and that's the goods you have seen have most likely been on a truck. The vast network of roads, highways, and even truck stops can really be seen as the lifeblood of most modern economies. Trucking doesn't just bring us our favorite products though, it creates jobs, fuels businesses, and you can say quite literally keeps our world turning. So as important as this industry is, it does have its fair share of safety concerns due primarily to the excessively long hours worked by the typical trucker, but also changing weather environments and a number of other issues that we will touch on today. But as technology has been rapidly evolving over the last several years, there is kind of a new chapter on the horizon for the sector, autonomous trucking, which is the focus of today's discussion. So today uh, on this episode, we're really going to be looking at how autonomous systems are kind of getting married to trucking. So we'll be understanding the intricacies of developing self-driving technology, specifically for trucks, and how they differ from their smaller urban vehicle counterparts. I think the differences are pretty stark and quite interesting, and we definitely get into that today. So we're also going to be looking at what level four autonomy signifies the foundational role that simulations play in perfecting these systems. And this is something that I wasn't fully aware and I was definitely happy to have my guest on today to expand my understanding of just how important simulation plays in the sector. Um, And of course, the kind of broad scale implications on employment, safety, and how we are going to be envisioning the future of transportation. 
So to guide us on this journey, I'm thrilled to have an expert who has really been at the forefront of these innovations. This is Robert Rossi. So Robert is Two Simples Senior Vice President of Autonomous Systems. He brings extensive experience in leading AI on autonomous systems, leveraging his engineering and business leadership experience at Microsoft and TomTom. At Microsoft, Robert led a successful international standardization campaign for JPEG XR, which was a high dynamic range image coding technology. He led the core media processing team that delivered image, video, and audio experience for Windows and Xbox. Before joining Too Simple, Robert was Senior Vice President of Engineering for Autonomous Driving at TomTom. So Robert holds a Bachelor of Science in Mechanical and Electrical Engineering from Michigan Technology University. I think that Robert really sheds light on some of the fascinating aspects of autonomous vehicle technology in today's episode. And for me anyways, clearly lays to rest any doubt as to specifically how this technology might be so much safer than the current human drivers. Great. Hi there, Robert. Thanks for joining me on the podcast today to talk about autonomous vehicles and trucks specifically. I'm looking forward to it, Mark. Great. Well, um, yeah, thanks for coming on. So the very first uh, question that I ask every single one of my uh, podcast guests is what made you get interested in the autonomous vehicle trucking space or in the technology that that you're working on? So maybe we can just start right there. So I, I think the origin of my interest goes back lately longer than most people in the field. I worked at General Motors in high school. Okay, uh, wow. At the tech, at the tech center. And uh, they talked about a vehicle that they had made that was autonomous using radio frequency communication mm-hmm. back in the 50s. And uh, I worked in the division that worked on the first industrial applications of r- robots that were stationary uh, doing things like spot welding. But mm-hmm. we did implement a couple autonomous robots in the factory to move really heavy equipment around. In fact, Volvo made them and they followed a wire in the ground. And I was kind of kind of became interested in the whole concept of of things that that operated autonomously at that time. Um, A couple of years later, when the PC era kind of boomed, there was a book called Brains, Behavior and Robotics by a guy named James Albus out of the uh, uh, government agencies. Hmm. And that book was what really inspired me to to become interested for the, the length of my career in advanced artificial intelligence, especially applied to autonomous robots. Awesome. That's uh, uh, quite an interesting far back experience that you had. Was that was that uh, first autonomous vehicle? Was that one that was going around a track? Yeah, the it was. It was Novel okay. Track. Right? Yeah, 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 yeah. I've, I've it was highly structured, right? So yeah. it, it it was an autonomy solution that was infrastructure to vehicle dependent. Mm. Right, right. Uh, very interesting. Yeah, okay. I, I have read about that one before. I don't know if I touched on it on the podcast or not, but interesting that uh, yeah. that you yeah. were working with there. Um, so why don't we dive into like the the value of autonomous vehicles at a general level here? So I've talked about autonomous vehicles before on the podcast several times. I've had a couple of guests on it, but we haven't really focused on autonomous vehicles with regards to trucking. So maybe you could just kind of lay out kind of the value or the benefits that would be um, achieved or experienced by a society or a city that would uh, implement and adopt uh, autonomous trucking kind of at a general high level yeah. for the audience. I, I think it's actually not the city that benefits. Right. Okay. Right. It's, the, it's the interconnectivity between the cities. Yes. Uh, right. And so the real advantage of trucking 
deals with the fundamental problem of fatigue and um, uh, the truck driver's needs to go to the bathroom, to, mm -hmm, to mm -hmm. sleep, uh, to, to maintain their concentration at very high speeds with very high weight vehicle, right? Different things like that. Those, those considerations are hev heavily kind of oriented toward long haul backbone type of freight. Okay. Mm -hmm. You know, the long, the long roads between, between cities. Mm -hmm. Okay. I still think that the tactical delivery in the one mile to five mile range in the hinterlands of the average city is still a great candidate for human piloted vehicles and trucks. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. So it would be uh, like a lot of the safety considerations, right? I think everybody's read, uh, any listeners read about, you know, um, uh, truck drivers working, you know, double or even triple shifts and falling asleep at the wheel and right. kind of autonomous vehicles or autonomous trucking solutions would uh, solve well, one of those right. uh, issues. And, and it also safety. fundamentally alters the, that equation requires uh, a truck driver to sleep after 11 hours of operation. Okay. Right. 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 And so then, you know, they're on the road, they're sleeping in the cab, right. They have to break their trip up over yeah. two to three days. Right. And um, it's not the most desirable mode of, of trucking, okay? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's not a good quality of life. You can't go home at night. Um, but there's there's a bigger factor of trying to maintain your concentration, okay, and your attention, okay, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, for long, sustained periods of time with very little novelty on the roads, right? Right, right. right? It's, just, it's just the human brain fundamentally wasn't designed to process information at 70 miles an hour, even in a car. Okay? <laughs> right. right. Um, our, our visual system wasn't designed for that depth, uh, depth calculations, different things like this. Right. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, I mean, on the long haul, that's where we focus, right. On long haul freight, uh, this is a better modality in our view. Okay. Than human piloted trucks. It's safer. Mm -hmm. It's more fuel efficient. Uh, it has a variety of, of advantages over human piloted freight. Mm -hmm. And um, maybe maybe we can dive into a little bit of those other advantages. I would also assume that uh, if I remember correctly, there's also a lack of truck drivers uh, in various. That's, that, that's a different thing, you know. Yeah. Um, so right now there's there's a uh, there's a shortage of eighty thousand to hundred thousand mm -hmm. truck drivers, and it's getting worse. Okay, mm -hmm. if, the, if the economy was humming better would be even more exaggerated. Right? Mm, mm. There's also pressure on the the entire intermodal freight system for just in time or you know yeah. one click purchasing kind of on Amazon and delivery tomorrow, right? Mm -hmm, like mm -hmm. it's highly integrated um, and, and optimized logistics. Okay, that's another uh, that's another pressure. Then the third thing is that new entrants, which would be new younger people, right, entering the field have heavily distracted attention by the, the current technology trends right. with devices and, and, right. and so forth. Right. Yeah. So, so that's leading to a higher degree of, of, of crashes and incidents in the younger drivers. They're mm -hmm. piloting. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No, that uh, absolutely makes sense. Um, you know, I wanted to ask you about this later on, but uh, uh to me, it sounds like the fears of autonomous trucking taking over truckers' jobs, based on what you were just describing, are not really warranted. Because if there's if there's such a shortage, I'm sure that autonomous trucking vehicles would be able to fill that shortage while still enabling human drivers to do their work and maybe doing their work right. a little bit better and at not such a 
maybe such a harsh in harsh conditions. Right. So when you this 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 is historic, right? Mm. Every case in history kind of proves that type of hypothesis wrong. Right. Okay. So for instance, if we make the backbone more efficient, we lower the cost of freight. Okay. Right. If we take the vehicle out, we lower the cost of freight. What does that do? That that increases the purchase uh, velocity. Okay, of different products, right? Which requires more flow and more distribution in the endpoints, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. right? So almost everything, every technology innovation that ultimately leads to lower cost, okay, increases overall jobs. Right. It's just a redistribution. It might be a little bit different, okay, in terms of how those those jobs are mapped. You take mm -hmm. you take from one area, but you increase in a, in another area, and then there's a net benefit. Right. Right. Yeah, but uh, people only think about well, autonomous trucks, trucking job, you know, equals no job. So uh, I think the the calculation is a little bit um, more complicated. Yeah, and, and what is a famous story about John Henry and the railroads? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> right, right, yeah, yeah, right yeah, in the eighteen yeah. hundreds. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Right. Yeah. Uh, the same thing about automobiles versus horses. Right. So uh, yeah, these 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 come and go, and each time it's disruptive. That's yes. what people yeah. are uncomfortable with, right? Yeah, yeah of course. With an existing scenario, it disrupts it. The disruption causes some stress, okay, for the people that are in the, uh, you know, basically invested in the current mode, mm -hmm. okay? But um, the world moves on, right? And the pressures that we, we face also bring new challenges and new technology solutions. Mm-hmm. And hopefully for those people that are concerned about their jobs, more interesting jobs that they can do, right? You're able to, right. instead of focusing on one area for, you know, hours and hours at 70 miles per hour, you're able to do it. I don't know, maybe something a little bit more cognitively challenging, which is, I think, right. more interesting for, for people. That, that, that's exactly it, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so uh, if we take that long haul driver and they become a more local delivery type person, that's a very dynamic Okay, mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. and task oriented thing, that's far better match for you know uh, the human mind. Yeah. Okay. Right. Yeah. There's novelty. There's events. There's people interactions. There's all kinds of things. That, yeah. 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 Terrific. Uh, why don't we switch gears here a little bit? Let's talk about the. So you mentioned it, but maybe we can dive deeper into it. You mentioned the differences between kind of urban or intercity autonomous vehicle. Um, functioning versus uh, long haul trucking. Uh, right. You know, I, I would, I would assume I've, I've done some work on autonomous vehicle projects uh, when I was living in Europe. And one of the things that kept coming up in these, uh, whether it was dealing with uh, inner city shuttles or vehicles in general, is just the amount of chaos that happens in a city. Right. Compared right, to, right. I guess what you guys are working, which things are a little that, bit simpler. Right. There are two, there are two different problems mm -hmm. with different, different hard aspects and easy aspects. Okay. So in, in the city, first of all, you got pedestrians everywhere. Yeah. Okay. Right. So in the interaction with humans that are, you know, moving at a maximum of three to six miles per hour. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, they're, they're everywhere. Right. That that's a problem. You have a ton of clutter in terms of vehicles, right. You have a lot of uh, complexity in terms of intersections and odd dynamics of people and vehicles and the intersection signaling, different different kinds of things like that. Mm -hmm. You have more sudden unexpected events, okay? Yeah. Although you have those on highway, but you have more a higher frequency of them, right? And so when I looked at this field, you know, first I started 
in full autonomous systems with uh, aerial drones, autonomous drones. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then I did uh, agricultural work and, um, but when it came to vehicles, autonomous vehicles on road, I definitely was attracted to the trucking space because the on-highway um, challenge, okay, is more uh, contained, okay, mm -hmm. right? Then uh, you, you, you have problems because you got an 80,000-pound truck traveling at 75 miles an hour, and you have to understand your environment at a much further distance, and you need to predict your environment much, much better. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, then something that operates at a slower speed has more time to to assess the scenario, right, or the or the situation, right. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, that's that's the one thing. You know, the truck, the truck has some very specific and unique requirements for safety. One, the truck is wide, and almost consumes the entire lane. Okay. Right. So the lateral interaction the complexity is is much more difficult than cars, okay, mm -hmm. that have more room laterally in the lane, right? Uh, secondly, to, to increase safety in the truck, you got to understand exactly where you are in the lane, okay? If you can keep the truck perfectly centered, which is one of our, our key bragging points at Too Simple, um, then you can make very uh, you can make very good use of the available room that you have to bias left or right in the lane, right? Mm -hmm. To get more room to a truck passing you by or an emergency lane vehicle on the side of the road, right? But you wouldn't necessarily have to have that level of sophistication in a in a car, okay, in a robo taxi scenario, right? So th those types of things become uh, uh, factors. The next one is your perceptual system, right? Um, yeah. In the robo-taxi, the perceptual system is wide and not as deep, okay, right? So so you're focusing on everything around you, but not as distant in the future because your, your speed is maybe 25 miles an hour or lower, okay, right? With a truck, you have two necessary configurations. One is very long longitudinal distance because you have the the uh, combination of the speed and the weight and the amount of time it takes you to slow the weight. Okay. Mm -hmm. Right. You know, which is greater than a car. Okay. Yep. It takes much more distance just to, to slow a truck than it does uh, slow a car on the freeway. Right. And then once you go off highway, you have this other capability of having to, to uh, be able to assess uh, in, in a wider field of view in a shorter range uh, configuration, um, assess the environment for all of its complexities and be able to properly navigate in a safe manner. So uh, what kind of technologies then are required for that to uh, to be able to happen? Like, uh, I know that there's been this debate for several years between, say, like Tesla's camera system and the um, uh, the laser vision systems of other vehicles right. for urban uh, vehicles. But it sounds like right. you guys need a, a combination um, or some different kind of technologies to enable both a wide frame when you're doing those slower um you know arriving to distribution centers or places just outside of the city um but also the more uh depth uh vision that right. you guys need during right. The, uh, right. the highways so so the way the way we do that uh so we have uh roughly uh, uh 10 directional key, uh, facing cameras i think it's it's around 20 25 cameras altogether okay. around the vehicle okay. but they have they, you know basically 
the uh, the autonomous vehicle is much different than a human in that it doesn't have a head, neck, and eye ocular motor movement yes. and all this kind of stuff that it samples the environment. So instead, we have a bunch of sensors that are fixed, mm-hmm. okay? Mm-hmm. And they have different orientations. They have different depths, right? And they're scenario dependent, right? So we have a long range uh, set of cameras that are that are also wide apart for stereoscopic vision. Mm-hmm. That's kind of uh, helps you determine the depth a uh, thousand meters uh, ahead of you. Okay, so our primary weapon all along has been cameras, mm-hmm. uh, very similar to Tesla. Mm-hmm. Okay, mm-hmm. the secondary uh, sensor has been lidar for us. Okay, lidar has its advantages and weaknesses, and we are seeing the onset of frequency modulated continuous wave LIDAR and radar, which can reconfigure uh, between uh, on highway long, the narrow field of view, long distance and and uh, uh, the scenarios where you're, you're off-road, where you want the wider view. But the, the sensor combinations that we have are uh, cameras, radar, LIDAR, ultrasonic sensors. Ultrasonic's really good for very simple calculation. Is there a vehicle next to me? Mm. Okay. Mm. Next, you know, the, the back of the cab, is there something right in front of the vehicle? Different, different things like that. And so um, now the sensors are, are uh, redundant in area, right? So they're overlapping. The field of view is overlapping between mm-hmm. these sensors. Right? So if one goes out, you still have hundred percent coverage. Okay. Right. By adjacent sensors, but they're also spectrally over- overlapped. Okay. So the uh, the laser system, the radar, and the visible spectrum are all at at different uh, wavelengths. Okay, and those wavelengths have different sensitivities to things like rain, fog, dust, uh, di- different kinds of environmental scenarios. Right, mm-hmm. they make it difficult. Right, and so uh, basically, this combination of sensors gives you robustness against the environmental scenario that could be dynamic and changing. Right, and, and make your make your perceptual system resilient uh, despite these uh, these different conditions. And the key technology then that you have is an intelligent and adaptive fusion system, right? Mm-hmm. That knows which one which t- sensors are to be weighted the most uh, valuable in the mm-hmm. current environment scenario or the current condition, like there's mud on the sensors or there's dust or or whatever, right? Which one should be weighted the best? And is your autonomy system in a in an operable mode? Okay, uh, given these environmental conditions, right? Right, and I guess for trucking that would be vastly more important because you're going through long distances where the environment is going to change That's much right. more substantially than in a city where you know if it's cloudy or if it's foggy, it's going to be foggy more or less throughout the whole city, or if it's going to be raining, it's more or less throughout the whole city. But I guess for your vehicles, it could transition, you know, multiple different kind of weather or environmental situations right. in a one single, single trip. Yeah. A single trip could be a thousand plus miles. Easy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. It could be 1500 miles. Yeah. Right. And so, yeah, you're likely to encounter all these, uh, these different types of conditions and the system needs to be resilient and robust to be able to continue operation. Otherwise you're going to have vehicles sidelined all over the place. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that, that's really interesting. That makes, that makes absolute sense. Um, maybe one, one last question uh, with regards to the sensors. So I'm, I mean, of course, the sensors are getting better over time. Do you yeah. have a, a sense in, say, five, 10 years based on your implementation and adoption of these of these sensors? Will there be less 
Uh, will there be needs for less sensors as time goes on? Or is it because these sensors are getting better, maybe even cheaper? You can just keep adding new layers of these of these various sensors. Well, uh, let's first talk about the types of sensors, mm -hmm. okay? Uh, we're doing great with cameras, okay? Mm -hmm. In the last couple of years, we've had uh, finally had high dynamic range uh, imagers in mm -hmm. the cameras, and now they're cheap, okay, because right. they're produced in volume. Uh, that allows us to have a great range of sensitivity in, in nighttime and daytime scenarios mm. and wide range of lighting conditions, you know, being blinded by the sun or being blinded by light lighting at night. Right. So the camera part is doing great. Mm. Okay. Mm. Um, the LIDAR, the problem you have with LIDAR is the spinning LIDARs are not really a good solution for longevity. Mm, okay. right, right. It's, it's right. a mechanical moving thing. And the rest of the design is trying to eliminate all mechanical moving parts. Okay. Uh, due to the, the reliability factor. Okay. Right. Mm. And we've been promised from the ecosystem solid state LIDAR, right. Which would have no moving parts. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, for some time. Right. But we are not getting the depth that we have, uh, that we need. Okay. It's, it seems to be stuck under 200 meters, okay, 180 mm -hmm. meters for, for solid state lighter, right? Now, the up-and-coming one is is uh, solid state radar, okay? And that is increasing uh, in resolution, in depth, okay? Mm -hmm. And reconfigurability between what I mentioned before, long-range, narrow field of view versus wide-range, short, narrow uh, field from the same sensor, okay? Mm. So that's uh, what plays out in the next five years is really going to be what is the dominance between LIDAR and radar, okay? And and does radar kind of uh, overtake LIDAR, okay? okay? Okay. So, yeah. The processing of radar is a little bit uh, more indirect than it is with LIDAR. LIDAR, you just go straight to a point cloud, right? Yeah, you resolve yeah. your point cloud, and then we, we do extraction. Right from that, uh, radar is a little bit more involved on the back end. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, another thing we're likely to see is some dedicated processors that do post processing of camera data and, and and have that processing technology kind of pushed into the camera itself. Hmm. Very interesting. Um, yeah, no, that that's interesting because it sounds like as time goes on, which is, I guess typical with with any kind of technology right you have the the reduction in costs of the uh right. peripheral technology but at the same time you have the robustness of your technology increase right so right. many of these concerns of whether it's the environment or whether it's you know being able to see far enough ahead to to uh, tell your system to break it sounds like this is just going to get easier cheaper and more robust as time goes on making these autonomous vehicles much easier to be deployed or ado uh, adopted in, in certain regions there's there's another element mm -hmm. that I, I kind of thought about before this meeting um you have this tricky interplay so when we talk about time frames you have now till 2026 then you're going to have a period between 2026 and 2029 mm -hmm. uh, where we actually have a chassis designed uh, by truck manufacturers to support l4 Base, ah, okay. base truck platform okay um so and then and then after that we have to bridge to 
to a full production OEM built truck. Okay. Right. That's 2030 and beyond, right? The mm -hmm. OEMs will completely build the truck at that point in time. Right. The interim window, the other problem that you have, right. When you start, you have more sensors because you have a higher failure rate. Right. Okay. And you need more redundancy, right. You actually get a better reliability when you go to high volume manufacturing. Right. Mm -hmm. So you could consider that the goal is to get to the point where a single OEM can commit to building 10,000 trucks, okay, based on L4 technology. When that happens, they're able to purchase the 10,000 batch sizes of, and maybe for cameras, it's, you know, it, it's a lot more, right? They can, they can have um, 10,000 batch sizes, which mm -hmm. allows you to do very high quality manufacturing processes and methods, you know, fixturing, different kinds of things like that. Right. So when we start off, like we are, we've got stuff that's hand soldered. Right. <laughs> right. 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 Okay. And, okay. and, and some of the components, right. Undesirable scenario. Right. Yeah. And yeah. we'll move to small lot manufacturing. You still need more redundancy in your sensing, right. Because you'll have, uh, mm -hmm. you know, still have moderate failure rates. Okay. But ultimately to answer your original question, when we get to the OEM scale, there could be far less sensors and far less need for, for uh, sensor redundancy in, in the system. That's really interesting. Yeah, that makes total sense. You don't even need for the technology to move that far ahead. It's it's the, right. the economies of scales. I hadn't thought about that before. That's fascinating. Really interesting. Um, how about uh, level four autonomy? Should we move into that? Sure. <laughs> so uh, I, I know I've talked about it on the podcast before, but maybe you can just quickly uh, define what it is and then say how your organization is bringing trucks to that. Okay. So first, uh, L4 autonomy is not full autonomy that L5 is, okay? Mm -hmm. L5 would mean the vehicle go, go on the road with some kind of vague notion of an origin and a destination, okay? Mm -hmm. And without a lot of help, navigate its entire way there, maybe the simple type of stuff that we have with uh, Google Maps, okay, right? And, and pilot itself uh, based on its, its full reasoning and processing capability contained in the vehicle, mm -hmm. okay? L4 is more of a structured kind of transportation technology, okay? Uh, our vehicles require a map, a high-def map, okay? That offloads a ton of processing that you would otherwise need to do to figure out what is the speed speed limit, mm. what is the lane structure, what is the traffic signal to lane alignment, right? A lot of different types of interpretation. So, um, so with L4... You have this combination of offboard technology that does pre-computation, okay? And that can be ranging from simulation to mapping to any kind of testing, right, that, that we do, right? And, and then a delivery of an uh, um, autonomy software uh, release, right, that uh, leverages this, this kind of information like the pre-computed map, okay? Mm -hmm. In, in performing its, stu its duty. So that's the differentiating thing about L4 is that it still, you know, has this reliance on offboard technologies. Right, right. Yeah. So um, how far away are you guys from achieving that? From L4? Yeah. So we're, we're in the, you know, if you consider it like a football game, mm -hmm. right? You're, you're in the red zone somewhere. Okay, right? And the last 20 yards is, you know, 
80% of the effort. Right. Okay? Right. 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 And so, um, uh, you know, there, there's several big challenges that we need to solve. Mm -hmm. And I kind of outlined these for the company earlier this year into 12 fundamental problems that we need to solve. Okay. I'm not going to go through all those right now. It's take too much time. But the, the key thing is you have to think back of what does that OEM need 10 years from now to build 10,000 trucks, right? Well, they need a successful decomposition of, of the technology that can be built by different suppliers who do different components uh, of the solution, right? They, mm -hmm. they definitely need that three years before, mm -hmm. okay? Mm -hmm. And three years before that, they need to be convinced that there's a market big enough for them to build 10,000 trucks, Okay. Right. Some people think, okay, we're going to prove ourselves, our, our L4 technology out by creating a commercial lane from Houston to Dallas. Okay. Yeah. Right. That doesn't do anything for the OEM. Okay. That could be a completely overfit custom, custom hacked solution that, that does that particular lane that has is meaningless in terms of having a large enough operational design domain that you can sell 10,000 trucks into. Right. 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 So you, so you have to kind of stare down what are those problems that you need to solve, right, to, to get there, okay? Clearly, safety and reliability is at the core, okay? Mm -hmm. So uh, one of the things that we eliminated earlier in the year is, let's say, let's not consider the possibility of if something goes wrong with the, with a truck that it could stop on highway. Because in my life, I've never seen a, a truck just come to a stop right. on highway in lane right. Right. ever, okay, right? And the only time I've ever seen a truck stopped in the lane is it's in, it's in an accident. Okay. Right. So we, we got to eliminate that from consideration. What does that, what does that mean? Right. And so um, there's a, there's a huge part of this that says, okay, maybe you're, you're getting premature in the AI technology. You still have some key problems that you need to solve there, but what is the systems technology that you need to design to allow you to have fairly op operational system? Okay. Right. So we, we call it supporting Byzantine failures, which is like a stochastic failure that could happen anywhere in the system. So you want to say, can I assume that a software error could happen? We cannot ensure millions of lines of code doesn't have an error in it. Mm -hmm, okay. mm -hmm. Can we have a hardware failure anywhere in the system and have it still remain operational? Right. Right. right? So um, these are these are the true realities in engineering that that you have to face to say, what, what is the necessity to, to build a product that's trusted by people, okay, on highway carrying 80,000 pounds at 70 miles an hour? What are, what are the guarantees that we need about its primary behavior and its secondary behaviors and its backup systems and, and so mm -hmm. forth to mm -hmm. be able to accomplish this mission despite the events it, it, could, have, it could face along the way? Yeah, that, that's, a, that's an interesting point. Um, how have you seen the maybe societal shifts in acceptance of this technology, right? I think several years ago, there was kind of exuberance of autonomous vehicles, specifically within urban centers. Um, and there might've been a little bit of hesitancy uh, with you know some of the earlier crashes being talked about or publicly pushed right. in, in media. But you know that, that's several years ago. What, what is your kind of general sense of um, societal acceptance of this autonomous technology now? There's still going to be there. They're still going to be suspicious of the technology if there's evidence where the evidence points to the fact that it doesn't have a general reasoning capability. Right. 
right? Or you, you see, you see what I'm saying. And yeah. so a lot of this off-board computing stuff I, I'm talking about lifts the ability, the necessity, mm-hmm. right? To have kind of deep reasoning uh, architecture. By the way, the human brain doesn't have a lot of time to do critical reasoning at 70 miles an hour either. Sure, sure. <laughs> right? <laughs> right, right. That's the reason why insurance adjusters after an accident always tell you, "Are you were you familiar with the environment? Okay, mm-hmm. that the accident occurred, right? Because that's the the first indicator that that the possibility of an accident scenario being your fault." uh, is possible. Right. Hmm. So, yeah, I mean, you, you, you have to, um, uh, you have to gain the public's trust. Okay. Now there's a couple aspects of trust, right. In, in a new industry, especially with artificial intelligence, there's a, there's a, there's a a high level of secrecy, right. Amongst the companies in terms of what they're doing. Right. Mm -hmm. So we're not really offering the full transparency. Okay. Right that uh that would make them feel comfortable and then secondly the government agencies that could regulate this do not know enough about how it works okay to to regulate it right and so they're not getting the assurances from government they're not getting the transparencies from the companies involved okay that's a problem we're going to have to solve Mm. okay and also technically there's been a lot of uh you know defaulting to its black box you know it's using deep learning as black box right but there's a lot of work that we're doing and needs to be done to to provide transparency into the inner workings to gray box, right? What, what is now black box components of the system, okay? Mm-hmm. And then also have defensible uh, guarantees on safety uh, in some of the sections of the pipeline where we can do that. So for instance, in the trajectory planning and the control part of that, we can implement constraints and we can provide transparency into what those constraints are. Okay. Right. That's listen in an, in an emergency scenario, we will not jackknife the truck. Okay. We will stay with inside these bounds of controllability, mm-hmm. right. Mm-hmm. That will, but will lessen, right. The, the, the risk of certain types of things uh, occurring period. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think in the next two years, we have to make a lot of progress in that area mm. okay. in providing that transparency to providing better communication about how the thing works. Yeah. Okay. Right. How it works maybe differently than how humans do the task. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And ultimately uh, understand what regulations and what constraints on the scenarios they operate in should be. Right. And we're getting we're getting some uh, kind of inquiries right now. Like I've met with government agencies, the uh, Arizona Department of Transportation, Tucson Department of Transportation, and um, they ask us, what can we do? Right. And we're like, you know, the, the condition of the roads is an issue. Right. 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 Gigantic pot- potholes. Mm-hmm. OK. And then the alignments off on the vehicle and we think it's the calibration that's off or whatever. Um we notice scenarios like a truck going through a non-signaled intersection, trying to make a left-hand turn. Okay. It's, it's very risky for normal truck drivers. And then we have mathematical proof, right. That that's the intersection should be a signaled intersection. Mm-hmm, right. Mm-hmm. So there's, there's certain types of adaptations, I think that are pretty simple, paint the surfaces on the road, keep them maintained. Okay. We have to interpret those. Right. Mm. Uh, you know, there's, there's different kinds of negotiations by all parties involved, but I think that's what needs to take place before 
we, you know, I, I would have to err on the side of, of the general public right now and saying, you know, I can understand, mm. I can empathize, mm. right? Why, why they're nervous about this. Sure. Okay. Sure. Right. And then we need to do our job. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it sounds like there's a, a significant amount of variables, right? Moving pieces, if you will, uh, in order right. for that uh, safety, that sense of security <laughs> for these new right. kind of technologies, specifically this one to come about. Uh, I know that you wanted to talk about simulation. So how would, say, simulation um, maybe, so, to start off with, maybe we can talk about simulation, then we can get into like how that would uh, support the, uh, okay. I guess, feeling of, of, of human beings in the society uh, of accepting the, right. this technology. So, so the first thing is, let's talk about the ways we simulate. Yeah. Okay. So the, the, the first method of simulation is simply to replay the actual on-road data, okay, up until the point of a decision or an action being made, because then the sensor mm -hmm. data is going to reflect the action, right? Mm -hmm. But it's normally what you're trying to debug in the system is what was the interpretation of the sensor data right before it made an action that turned out to be uh, undesirable action, mm -hmm. okay, right? So we we have we have twenty petabytes, okay, of accumulated on-road data, ten million miles plus. Okay, of on-road testing uh, that we've done. Okay, all of this is indexed either by comments that the test engineer in the truck makes. Okay, or particular types of events like harsh braking. Okay, right, uh, and rapid accelerations or unexpected uh, uh, movement in the steering wheel of a, of a you know high rate. So, uh, and that entire amount of data is queryable, and then able to be pipelined into a simulation engine to get results. Okay. okay. Right. This is a very, very powerful thing at too simple, right? Mm -hmm. Very, very powerful asset that we have. Right. So we have that fundamental capability. Then when we get down to debugging something, and a lot of times it comes down to was a requirement of the system uh, underdefined. Okay. Right. And, and a lot of this is, is since it's new, right you're discovering the details of your requirements as you go along, right? As you test, you have, you have a, a basic design of the requirement, uh, an analysis of the requirement, and then you have the, the nuances that come up uh, on the road, right? And so one of the powerful aspects that we have in simulation is we can reverse engineer the, the real scenario into a synthetic scenario, okay? Once we have the synthetic scenario, we can do counterfactual analysis where we look at other kinds of uh, decisions, decision points. What if the vehicle we were merging against was going five miles an hour faster or 10 right. miles slower, right? right? What, what, what would have been the implications of our stuff, right? And so through that analysis uh, and reasoning process, which could be automated in the future, okay, we, um, we then can fine tune and uh, adjust our requirements and then ultimately test the, the, uh, the solution against those requirements, okay? So that's a big thing. Um, we can also put the entire truck in the loop. We have a truck behind our building that's up on blocks, right? Or we can run a, a simulation and test the control against the actual, actual vehicle, right? It's right, called Harbor right. the Loop. We have um, uh, components in the loop, uh, type type simulation uh, that we have, okay, 
And I, I marked down a couple a, a couple kind of scenarios. So we talked about real world data experiences. Um, you could also synthesize. We could put we could augment the data, the real data with other real data. So I could augment the real on highway data with a pedestrian walking in the uh, uh, in emergency lane. Okay, right. So right. we can synthesize real data. Okay, Aug augmenting real data. Right. Of course, we could do that. Uh, with the reverse engineered synthetic thing, right? Mm -hmm. So you have this this thing of of taking even if you had ten thousand cases, you do augmentation, and now you got a million cases, okay, right? Through through that kind of uh, scenario, right? We can also manu manually create scenarios, okay, uh, that uh, might help us understand a generalization, okay? Uh, let's say a particular intersection types or something like that, mm -hmm. a particular design that would help us uh, test a generalized solution, right? Like maybe roundabouts or something like that. Um, we also have the ability to automatically generate models. This is all called procedural generated content in the gaming world, okay? Right. Uh, so statistically sample, you know, Tucson environment or Phoenix environment, and then generate a city model, right? It has the same statistical characteristics. And then most important, a huge trend. So the, the area of the pipeline, when you talked about what areas are still uh, heavily being worked on, okay? It's the prediction module, the behavior, the predicted behavior of the other vehicles and especially their behavior in relationship to ego, which is the truck, the autonomous truck, okay? It's trying to change lanes. How are the other vehicles going to respond likely? And how do I know that if they're cooperating or not cooperating, mm, right? Mm -hmm. my, uh, my intention, okay, right? And so um, an area that we keep chasing these things down, the deficits on a case-by-case -case basis, okay? But I think the, the trend now in the industry is to go to generate traffic behaviors, okay? And uh, use something that probably is going to be way beyond what you'll ever experience in real life, which will give it kind of superhuman mm. uh, kind of capabilities in, in behavior analysis. Uh, behavior prediction of surrounding vehicles. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, maybe maybe one step back. Um, so your system, your your AI system, uh, do you have like multiple systems that these trucks are running on or is it just the one too simple AI autonomous trucking system that these uh, trucks are running through just so that uh, I, I can understand? We, we, do have, we do have two separate technologies. Okay. One was, was largely developed in China, okay? okay which is an L2 plus system. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, that is a, you know, a given your, your emergency braking, your automatic made it or emergency braking, your lane keeping behavior. It's more like a conventional L2 technology that you have, mm -hmm. but using some of the, the technologies that we have uh, in L4. Okay. Like long range reception. Okay. Okay. System. And then the L, the L4 technology is a single design. Okay. Mm -hmm. it, it is a dedicated single architecture that, that we have. We have a couple different generations of hardware, okay, as we, we evolve uh, in complexity and work our way toward lower cost, lower thermal requirement, uh, uh, you know, compact solution. Okay, okay, super clear. So then all of this uh, simulation data that you're, that you're not just generating but running through these these uh ai systems in order to make them 
uh, I guess you kind of alluded to like superhuman uh, in understanding and predicting behaviors on the road. Um, I, th I think one thing that is still outside of most people's perceptions is how many loops these systems are able to do, uh, like learning loops, comprehension oh, yeah. loops that they're able to do in a span of say a day, right? So right. like a typical driver uh, does, I guess, testing on the roads and they do one, maybe two loops of testing throughout, throughout a, a yeah, we, we have five teams. They do three a day, 15 yeah. a day. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But we run hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of simulations per, per evening. Exactly. Okay. All right. And so, uh, and we don't advance something to on-road testing until it's cleared a lot of cases, right? Uh, till, till we're very happy with uh, our, our regeneration case, cases mm -hmm. that that uh, apply to the feature being tested, right? So that, the, it, it, you know, you have that aspect of being able to just run the simulation much, much higher rate, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You also have, uh, when it comes to long tail events, the ability to alter the frequency of long tail events, mm. okay? Events that will rarely occur in the recorded data, right? You can alter the frequency at which those happen to provide more training and testing samples. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So one thing that might happen maybe just once in a trucking uh, person's career, right. You can That's actually right. run that through five times a night if you want, so that they're exactly. very, very good. And therefore, yeah. I guess you could say superhuman when it comes to that event, if it even happens on the road, they've had all of this training data, all of this training experience that they're able to make a better decision than a human being would. This is the optimal balance between, yeah. you know, the simulated world where we have some advantages and then there's no, um, uh, you know, the, the areas where in the past people were focusing on, you know, ray tracing and trying to simulate the sensors and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. The giant win is in this area. I was telling you about the prediction layer. Right. Okay. Right. So, uh, there's also, there's also things you can do in simulation that you can't feasibly do in the runtime system. Okay. We could have a comprehensive physics model of the truck. Okay. In simulation. Right. And there we go the opposite way. 10 seconds takes the simulator an hour. Mm. Okay. To run. Okay. Right. But it does it according to first order physics principles. Okay. okay. Right. And then we test something like a tire being blown out. Right. And, and we derive from that a successful reactive behavior that does not have a model behind it. Mm. Okay. Mm. It's just based on in the, in this high fidelity simulation, we discovered that this particular um, technique Okay, of control. Okay, would would allow you to handle the blowout. Okay, right, right, and then that is put as a rule. The truck doesn't understand how to do that on the fly. It cannot compute the, the first order dynamics model of physics of itself. Okay, right, and the environment match and all that kind of stuff. But it does have the ability to say, "I detect the tire blowout and I apply this rule." Okay, Fascinating. Right? Yeah. That, that's another. That's another key thing. Yeah, that's that's super super interesting. Um, I hadn't thought about that one before, but yeah, really fascinating, Robert. That's a, that's a very interesting point. Um, I guess also one of the other questions that I had about the simulations that you're able to create. Often a question comes up of how the human beings are going to be interacting with the autonomous vehicle, right? So most pe most drivers are familiar with trucks on the road that are being driven by humans, and they're going to 
interact and react to those trucks in a very kind of specific way. But when there's an autonomous vehicle, they might not feel, um, I don't want to say comfortable, but familiar with an autonomous vehicle. So they might actually interact in a different way, but I guess you could run those differences through a simulator or through the simulation. So have the truck understand whether the human being is interacting with them as if they were a traditional truck versus an autonomous truck based on, I guess, the, the understanding that you guys most probably, you know, in, uh, in, in 20, late 2021, 2022, or January of 2022, we did our 10 ghost rider events where the truck was piloted with Mm -hmm. nobody. Mm -hmm. We have a famous video. It's inside of our company of the driver of another truck having his truck in, in uh, automatic cruise control and then climb over into the passenger seat and stare into our vehicle because there was nobody in there, right? Awesome. We're totally freaking out, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so, uh, yeah, these these are new scenarios. And I know people going back to 2015 at Ford, actually, that were studying this kind of thing is like, how, how are we altering the behavior of the vehicles around us based on their knowledge that, and, and the best thing is for them not to be able to detect that it's a autonomous vehicle, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. And then their behaviors are normal and, and maybe they get adjusted to this over time, right? So uh, I think that's um, uh, that, that's the general part of that, but we do have to, we do have to study that. So, so in normal simulation as it has today, compared to what we can do in the future on mm. behavior generation, you basically have these things called behavior trees and you model different stereotypical people piloting behavior. Okay. Drunk okay. driver, mm. distracted driver, granny, right? <laughs> right, uh, right, right. Uh, youthful driver, right? Uh uh, somebody late for work, right? And then, and then you have a behavioral model, and the nodes of the tree kind of relate to the context. Okay, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right. I'm late for work, and there's a K intersection. I need to get off on. What do I do? I speed up, and I try to cut over four lanes at the last minute. Right, right, right. right. And so, you know, but I think we we're going to have to evolve those things to understand how people might react around and change your behavior. Uh, if they if they do know it's a autonomous vehicle, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah, very interesting. Well, I think I think for myself, um, having you speak about the issues or about about how simulation can um, essentially train your AI systems to uh, specifically with the long tail issues, right? You're able or the long tail situations, you're able to train these AI systems in situations that. Uh, normal truck drivers, human truck drivers might never even encounter for me helps me to accept the fact that, okay, these autonomous systems might be significantly safer in the coming years compared to your typical human driver. Uh, j- just, just so you know, we don't train inside the simulator today. Okay. 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 Right. Right. In general, in deep learning right now, mm-hmm. there's going to be a transition over the next three years from supervised learning, which is done with a very regimented process of labeled data, mm-hmm. okay, mm-hmm. training of, this, of the system with labeled data or labeled cases, uh, to self-supervised learning, mm. okay, right, and then and then potentially reinforcement learning, okay, right, right. and that right. might be restricted to only parts of the stack, okay. Uh, which I believe would be control and and uh, planning, motion planning. Okay. Okay. Um, that is the big opportunity. Um, 
for us to leverage simulation and kind of re, re, change the equation of on-road testing to off offline testing. Okay. okay. And then ultimately evolving simulation to be a training, uh, a training, have a training capability as well. Okay. So, okay. So that's in the next couple of years. Um, what other things, if we're looking kind of like at the future now, what other kind of things we've touched on, like the sensors, uh, maybe some of the infrastructure might be able to change. You have the simulation. What are some other things that you're kind of looking out over the next five to 10 years that are outside of, right. of your organization? And then maybe we can also touch on, uh, you know, your roadmap and what you, what you can touch, uh, what you can speak to that, that okay. too simple is doing. So uh, let me start with what we can do inside of our organization sure. and what the industry has to do in general. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Going back to the problem that I talked about with the OEM needing to address a large operational design domain, like the bottom half of the United States, okay, 20, at least 20, 30,000 miles of interstate, mm -hmm. okay? Mm. Um, the, the one problem we have is deep learning tends to overfit to a particular environment, okay? You run all day. We, we simply went the other way on I-10 in Arizona, right, from, from an intersection, went on highway one way versus the other way, and everything changed, mm. okay? The behavior of the vehicles changed because it was two lanes instead of three lanes, right? Hmm. Uh, the road was paved differently, so it wasn't it was crowned and it was wavy, right? Different kinds of things like that. So the 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 long pull you have is how do you generalize the technology, right? There's a lot of work going on in AI right now, deep learning, in a uh, uh, combination of what I talked about in simulation called synthetic data, mm -hmm. but also what they call transfer learning. And transfer learning and federated learning and something they call meta learning is all about the system having the ability to modify itself to adapt, okay, the mm -hmm. current knowledge that it has to a new distribution of the input, okay? Mm -hmm. right? so, so you have these shifts in your distributions that characterize different things in, in your environment, okay? And they shift as you move from state to state or along a long trip. Right. How does a system uh, not have to throw away all of its previous knowledge, start over and have a different configuration and a different instance of what it does now that the environment is changing? And what do you do when the environment is changing continuously as you're right. driving trip? Right. So this is a big area that that uh, there's a, a lot of emphasis. The the uh, technologies are called transfer learning. Uh, meta learning and federated learning. Federal federated learning it says once I've adapted in a, a 15, 20 different places, can I can I bring all that stuff back into a foundation model? Okay, right. That makes the specific adaptation smaller until mm. I come up with a completely generalized um, uh, solution that fits all environments. Right. So that 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 that's a big one. Right. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um. Externally, we have requirements, you know, the whole ecosystem has to come together on this, okay? They need to come together in timing, okay, in commitment, okay, and who does what, okay, and where, where the kind of partitioning, the, the proper kind of coordination of the greater ecosystem, okay? And without that being done, then you have certain companies that do the whole equation have an advantage, <laughs> Okay. Right. And, and you'll see that as a business model picked by companies like Tesla, like Zooks, 
and, and you know they want they have full control over the whole thing right so they have less of a uh of a exposure to the ecosystem uh kind of coordination risk uh right. th that's part of the equation right so i think that that's a part of it and then i think the other external thing is a government okay yeah. Yeah. right so the government doesn't know how to regulate but it will regulate at a certain point in time right and so we're investing a lot of money, we're doing a lot of things, but we don't have constraints from the government right now because they don't know how to plan. And then when those constraints do occur, they could train wreck us. Right. right. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You know, yep. Yep. And, and so um, this is kind of a similar scenario in the automobile in like the, the 1919 timeframe, 1919, 1920, where just the safety aspects. Yep. Right, right. Uh, forced the government reaction finally. Right. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, people marched on Washington, you know, due to the amount of traffic fatalities, different kinds of things like that. Right. Mm -hmm. So, so anyhow, I think those are the the key external external factors that we need to we need to ensure progress successfully. Very interesting. Um, maybe then the final question is. Uh, and this this is a bit of a, a random out there question, but when will we see, uh, I guess, ubiquitous autonomous trucking uh, in the, let's say just in the United States? Is it going to take five years? Is it going to take 20 years? What's your... Yeah, and that's an interesting selection of time. It's <laughs> not going to happen in five years. Yeah, yeah. Okay, right? And it will definitely be there in 20 years. Okay, Perfect. right? So, so the, the real timing that I sent, I, I tell everybody is for us to, to hunker down and focus on 10 years from 2023, 2033. Mm. Okay. Mm. And that being the starting point, you have 10,000 trucks built. Yeah. Okay. And operating on the road at that time, that's even hard to get to that date. Sure. If the focus very, very, uh, very succinctly in the three, six, nine year time frame to hit that. Okay because there's several decisions that need to be made six years before, three years right. before, et cetera. Right. 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 right? But uh, in terms of the alignment of technologies, the, the uh, larger OEMs realizing that they either get on board and do this or they risk their whole business. And I believe several trucking companies will, will suffer, right. Mm -hmm. That, that, that re react to this too late. Right. 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 But yeah, that's that's the time frame. I think I think they'll be on the road and they'll be operational. Right. And then we'll have this phase between 2026 and 2029 where we have pilot fleets operating. Right. Uh, in driver driver out. OK. In mm -hmm, limited mm -hmm. scenarios. OK. Mm -hmm. Building up the final the final kind of priming of, of the ultimate network that you need to deploy these. And there's a lot of things. The industry needs to do right you have to design the hardware for the current ecosystem to have parts like uh, computer boards that they swap out and swap in right. and the trucks going again right right and who right. who does that you know is it the existing truck component manufacturers right how do you realign the truck it could be once a truck leaves the the original facility it may you may never see it again it's just operating in a network right so you have these pull-in stations where it says, and my sensors are out of calibration. I drive through this thing, I recalibrate, and then I continue on with my load. <laughs> right, Crazy. right. Crazy. There's just a lot of things that actually go into, uh, but you have to, 
you have to project yourself out. And I say 10 years and that's, that's kind of, that's even pushing it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Right. But, but you have to project out what does the world look like 10 years from now? And you have to imagine what 10,000 vehicles properly being supported, executing properly, their terminal interactions at the endpoints, yeah. right? All, all of this kind of stuff. Yeah, all the infrastructure that needs to be in place. All the infrastructure that needs to be in place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Super. Well, maybe I'll have to have you back on before the 10-year timeline and you can yeah, readjust yeah. if- uh, have a if lot of work to do. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It certainly sounds like it. Um, great. Well, well, I, I guess we can end it there. Uh, thanks a ton for coming on. And I hope, I hope that at the very least, one person listening to this will get a better sense of just how much, I don't know if better is the right word, but how much, how much a autonomous trucking system can be superior to a human driver if these kind of training, the the simulated training and the, the simulations that are uh, done for it uh, can actually lead to, uh, as you said, like a superhuman understanding of of the environment. Because I certainly, I certainly yeah. think deep in my understanding of of that capability. So hopefully, another listener will. Yeah. Uh, I think in closing thing. remark, you know, mm-hmm. uh, people often ask me, you know, how do you know when you're when you're uh, when you're ready? Okay. And I used to say, you know, when we can prove that we're the same capability of as an expert truck driver. Mm. I actually think the the world is going to hold us to a higher standard than that. Sure. Sure. Okay. Right. So we actually even have to aim beyond that where it's uh, for that scenario of long haul freight, mm-hmm. uh, you know, superhuman capability. Very interesting. Okay. Great. Thank you. Th- thanks, Robert. Uh, I'll have the, of course, the website up on uh, the show notes for the episode. Uh, if you have another way, like say LinkedIn or or elsewhere, um, where guests can uh, reach out and uh, or follow your work. Yes, we have. Uh, we actually have a LinkedIn uh, a page for Too Simple. We have a Facebook page for Too okay. Simple. Uh, yeah, I mean those are the, those are the best places to go. We also have. YouTube videos of the actual driver out runs that we okay. did. Great. Right. Great. So those, those are something where they can actually see the, the full promise. Okay. Of the technology in action. Great. Well, I'll, I'll post uh, all the links up there on the show notes and uh, people can go check it out at their leisure. Um, Robert, thanks again for coming on a uh, fascinating discussion. I think I'm going to have to ponder some of the things that you were mentioning for the next day or so. Um, yeah, th- thanks for coming Appreciate on. Appreciate the opportunity, Mark. And uh, I look forward to talking to you in the future. Terrific. Myself right. as well. Thanks Take again. Take care. Well, thanks for listening to this week's Future Tech and Foresight podcast. If you like what you've heard here, there are, of course, a number of ways that you can support the podcast. The best way would be to leave a review on Apple Podcasts or give a rating on Spotify, which you can find a step-by-step explanation for on the futuretechandforesight.com website. Alternatively, feel free to leave a comment either on the episode show notes or the YouTube channel where you can see video recordings of the interviews. And finally, if you are part of an organization that is aware of the disruptive and transformational impact that emerging and future technologies will bring and want to know more, please get in touch to hear about the strategic foresight services that we offer and how we can help future-proof your organization and take advantage of the phenomenal opportunities available to survive and thrive in the future. 
a lot of future shock people and future shock institutions in our society are simply overwhelmed. Once there is superintelligence, the fate of humanity may depend on what the superintelligence does. Science fact is catching up to science fiction. The first truly intelligent machine will be the last invention that humanity needs to make. The only scarcity that will exist in the future is that which we decide to create ourselves as humans. Within a 10-year design revolution, we can have all humanity living the highest and living anybody's ever known. Progress is uh, accelerating at an exponential pace and it's going to reach a point where progress is so fast it's going to be a singularity. We are probably one of the last generations of Homo sapiens. Every single headline points to the birth pangs of a type 1 civilization.